0: You are created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. Nothing else in the universe shares this distinction. Nothing else in the universe shares this honor. That's how God designed you. That's how God formed you. He stamped his very image upon your being while you were knitted in your mother's womb. Now, part of that image, the image of God, is found in our ability to reason. Part of it is found in our creativity. Part of it is found in our speech and and language. Part of that image is found in our mandate to govern and care for God's creation. And part of that image is our capacity for relationship our ability to be in relationship. that God created us in His image as relational beings to be in relationship with one another and above all, to be in relationship with Him. That this is how God created the first people, our first parents, Adam and Eve. Our Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 1 says this, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And everyone born since Adam and Eve has inherited this image, the image of God. But we've inherited a broken image, a shattered image. Why? Because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Adam and Eve disobeyed his word. They broke his command. They sinned the first sin. And that first sin changed everything. Everything. Their relationship with God was broken, shattered. The image of God they were created with, broken, shattered. And every human being born since has shared this fate, this curse. You are created in the image of God and that image is broken. Every human being is created in the image of God, and that image is broken. Now, This this truth helps make sense of the world around us. It, It explains how humans are capable of astounding acts of creativity and beauty and order and justice and service. We're created in the image of God. And it also explains how we are just as capable of destruction and repulsiveness and chaos and injustice and tyranny. The image is broken. We are broken. Now, when we talk about a broken image of God, a shattered image of God, it's easy to think about everybody else. It's easy to think about the world out there or the past or the excesses of Western culture, not me. But it's true about you as well. It's truth. We are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are broken. We are sinners. We are capable of evil. And in our passage today, Paul, Paul, in our passage today from Colossians, Paul lists evil that we are capable of. Paul lists behaviors that result from our brokenness. Paul lists sins that we are guilty of committing. He begins with sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word here is porneia. It's an umbrella term. Pornea refers to any type of sexual immorality, meaning anything outside of God's design for sex, which is marriage between a man and a woman. Pornea includes impurity, passion or, or, or lust, as well as desire, evil desire, our brokenness goes beyond action and it goes straight to our heart. It goes to our desires. It goes to our thoughts. Paul also includes covetousness or greed. The desire for more and more and more. It's a heart that longs to gain and possess, to have and to hold and to find fulfillment in the having and holding. Paul calls it idolatry. Why? Because the love of things, the desire for more and more can easily become first in your life, central in your heart, taking the place of God. Where you think about what you want all the time, where your actions are geared toward what you want all the time, where your money is spent on what you want all the time, where your time is spent pursuing what you want all the time. Paul states, That our sinfulness also includes anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. It's this, it's this burning that we have in our hearts against someone else, someone who did us wrong, someone who doesn't respect us, someone who doesn't listen to us, someone whom you are in competition with, someone that should have known better. It's a burning that comes out in our words words that cut, words that tear down, words that wound, words that are intended to kill, words that can't be taken back. Now, all, all these, all these that Paul lists, all these, all these behaviors, all these sins are symptoms that point to the disease of our souls, that point to the disease of our beings They point to the image of God's shatteredness. They point to hearts that don't work right, lives that aren't lived right. Sin. Sin that separates us from God. Sin that God cannot tolerate. Sin upon which God's wrath is coming. But the good news is that God does not leave you in this state. In love, he has come to you. In love, he has come to restore you, to mend you, to heal you, to reconcile you, to save you. In love, he has taken on flesh for you in Jesus. And, and Paul has already described Jesus in this way in chapter 1 of this letter He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of God, unbroken, unshattered, whole, complete, perfect image of God who has come to restore your broken image of God. And in coming, in coming, Jesus has not simply shown up at your door with a dustpan and a broom. He he hasn't just come to tidy up your life just a little bit to sweep up the dirty spots that you have here and there. No, in Jesus, God has shown up at your door with a wrecking ball, a bulldozer. Your your image is so marred, your heart is so broken by sin, you need a new foundation, you need a new structure, you need to start over. Now, Paul describes this in our passage as putting off the old self. The old self that the old self can't remain. The old self can't abide. The Adam in you has to go. Just like old clothes. Now the only problem is that you can't do it. You can't put it off. You can't, you can't take it off. You can't remove the old you. You can't take off Adam. You you can't shake this broken image. Now you can try harder. And you probably have. You can try to change your behavior. You can try not to yell as much. You can try to avoid Amazon. You can try to avoid movies that, that, that cause your, your thoughts to wander where they should not. But doing this is like putting paint on a wall that's rotting or, or, or applying a bandage just putting a bandage on an infected wound, it might help temporarily, but it does not get to the heart of the problem. The rotting wood has got to go. The infection has to go. The image of God needs restoration. But you can't do it. You can't. And your friends can't, and your spouse can't, and your family can't, and a counselor can't only Jesus Christ. Jesus takes the, the tattered, filthy rags that are the old you off your back. He takes the broken image that you wear. He removes the Adam in you and he puts it on himself. He wears it and he takes it to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus takes upon himself God's wrath for you his wrath for your brokenness, his wrath for your sin, his wrath for your old self. In other words, Jesus takes your place unto death. And in exchange, he clothes you in himself. He wears the old you and he clothes you in himself. He gives you a new self, a new image of God. That's that's the bulldozer. That's the wrecking ball. That's salvation. That's what God has accomplished for you. And it's signified in baptism, it's it's signified in the water washing that is the beginning of Christian life, It's, it's signified in the sacramental sign of the covenant. Now, part of what baptism points to, part of what baptism signifies, is putting off the old self, the death of the old self. Now, Paul mentioned this in chapter 2 of Colossians. We read this a couple of weeks ago. In in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul likens baptism to circumcision, circumcision. He compares baptism to circumcision. Listen, listen to those verses, 11 and 12 of Colossians 2. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, the cutting of circumcision was a sign of removing the old self. Likewise, baptism. It's a sign of putting to death the old self in Jesus and rising to new life with him and in him and through him and for him. Now, I, I think one of the best illustrations of this comes from the C.S. Lewis book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This is one of the chronicles of Narnia, and and if you haven't read it, you need to read it, and you need to read all of them. If if you don't know, Narnia is a land where animals talk, where there are satyrs and centaurs and mermaids and dryads. It's a land ruled by the great lion Aslan, who who is the Christ figure of the books. Now, Some children can get to Narnia from our world, and, and that's what these stories are about. In The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the main characters is a boy named Eustace Scrub. Now imagine going on a trip, a delightful trip, a wonderful trip, an awe-inspiring trip, a trip that you've looked forward to for some time. And then think of the worst possible companion you could have on this trip, one that makes every single minute of this trip a complete misery. Well, then think of someone worse than that and that's Eustace Scrub. He's selfish. He's arrogant. He's whiny. He's manipulative. He's self-righteous. He's always right. He's a beast. And everyone knows he's a beast, only he doesn't see it. He's blind to it. He's blind to who he is until he actually turns into a beast. On their travels, on their voyage, they stop at an island to repair their ship. The dawn treader Eustace goes off by himself and through some sort of magic he turns into a dragon he'd been acting like a dragon now he actually is a dragon but the effect of this transformation made him see opened his eyes to what a dragon he was before he actually became a dragon and he wanted to be a boy again only he couldn't do it he could he couldn't transform himself he couldn't remove the dragon the one night Aslan appears to Eustace Aslan takes Eustace to a pool, to a bubbling bath at the top of a mountain. Eustace wanted to get into the bath. He had this urge, this need to get into the pool to be refreshed. But Aslan told him before he bathed, he must undress. So Eustace attempts to undress his dragon self. He scratches at his dragon's skin with his great dragon claws, trying to remove his skin like a snake. And it works. His dragon skin comes off. But as he prepares to get into the bath, he realizes he's still scaly. He still has dragon skin. He tries again, but it doesn't work. He tries a third time, but he's still a dragon. And then Aslan says this to Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. And then Eustace relates the rest of the story to his cousin Edmund. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty near desperate now, so I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much. For I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. Eustace was a boy again, undressed by Aslan, cut to the heart by Aslan, bathed by Aslan, made new. And when he got out of the pool, Aslan dressed him in new clothes. Do you see it? Eustace could not remove the dragon, Eustace could not remove the old self. Only Aslan could, and he was washed and made new. Only Jesus can remove the dragon in you. Only Jesus can remove the old self. Only Jesus can remove the Adam. Only Jesus can give you a new foundation. Only Jesus can make you new in Christ through faith in Christ. This is who you are. You've put on the new self you're washed, you're clothed in Christ. And Paul is saying, live it. Live it. Don't live the old self. Don't live the old ways. Don't continue to be the dragon. Live new. Live out your baptism. This is who you are in Jesus. You've got a new heart. You've got a new foundation. You've got a new structure. Sexual immorality is not living new. Greed is not living new. Anger is not living new. It's not living in Jesus. Live who you are. Live who Jesus has made you to be. Now, will you struggle in this new life? Yes. Will the old self emerge at times? Yes. Will the dragon rear its ugly head? Yes. Was Eustace ever selfish again? Yes. Did the Colossians to whom Paul is writing struggle? Yes. And that's why Paul writes this in verse 10. Listen to verse 10 again. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are being renewed. Being renewed. It's a work in progress. It's not finished. It's not complete. And you won't be this side of heaven. And also notice it's passive. You're not renewing yourself. It's God's spirit, God's spirit within you, dwelling in you. God's spirit is renewing you, healing you, restoring you, making you more and more into the image God intended you to be, making you more and more like Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.